Substances is largely about bringing attention and awareness to issues many of us do not face, do often not hear about, and do not have knowledge of. Today, we hear about a stance of a Nigerian woman, Aisha Osman, who started giving back at a young age. She finds it her duty to help her fellow Nigerians and be a community member through action and initiative. Aisha started her organization with her sisters and her friends. The objective is to help those with underprivileged people in her community one step at a time. Thank you for being on Substances this afternoon. Um, we would like to start with talking to you just a little bit about who you are, what you're doing, what brought you to Germany, your background. So just can you open up the floor just telling us a little bit about yourself and then we'll dive into some bigger questions. Hi haters, I'm on Substances. <laughs> Biggest fan. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> my name is Aisha Othman. I am a Nigerian. I'm here studying international relations and cultural diplomacy. My background is in international relations and languages from Aston University in Birmingham, United Kingdom. Um, yeah, uh, I grew up in the US for some time and moved back home to Nigeria. Uh, I'm very Pan-African. Heads up. And uh, beyond that, yeah, I've been here since February, and before here I was in Siena as part of my course. Okay, great. So you mentioned to some of us that you started an organization with your sisters that was uh, aimed to shining a light on the challenges of being a Nigerian woman. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization, its name, and anything else you want us to know? So um, my organization is called Upendi Care Foundation. Yes, that is from Disney. Um, it Actually, I started it with my friends in high school. Um, the model is um, from youth to charity by creativity and initially we were just looking to do art programs like for um, um, children in IDP camps which is internally displaced persons camps um, just to make a bridge for them to like psychologically help them in any way and um, it ended up being uh, kind of a youth empowerment um, charity um, now, with my sisters, it actually started when we, me and my friends started a sanitary care product program to take sanitary care products to women in these camps as well. Um, when, we, when we did that, we would go and, you know, people would come up to us with some very weird stories. Well, um, I mean, we're Northerners. There's so many things that we have heard but never really seen, per se. So it was interesting for them to come up to us with those stories um, as far as people being in early marriages, people um, having fistulas because of um, pregnancies because, you know, they were too young to give birth, um, rapes, domestic abuse in general, things like that. So um, that was how that kind of separated into its own situation. My mom always raised us, you know, to help out people in our society. It's more of a duty. It's not like, I feel like every Nigerian, for every Nigerian, it is, it is your duty. It's not 
it's not oh i just want to be part of an ngo i just want to you know put my pictures up there and take pictures with the kids no it's your duty to be to do that it's your duty to give back to your society so yeah that was that how that that was how that began and um if you know you guys want to hear some stories let me know yeah could so, you give us some insight on a couple of the stories? I feel like it's important for listeners to understand just like what I'll you're hearing. I'll give you one right now that my sister is actually working on. Okay. I'm working on with um, my sister who's um, a journalist. Um, so what she's doing is she's going to, she's trying to make a documentary about a VVF center in Kano, which is uh, uh, one of the most populated states in northern Nigeria. Just for the listeners, can you sh- like, where on a map is it? It's right uh i guess directionally well it's in the north from the capital two states above the capital okay so um yeah so when we got there when um, we got there initially center although it's there it's not equipped it's very under-resourced you know there's probably just one person working there most of the times they don't have any surgical equipment so these girls are coming in there even with they're already you know they have the fistula and they have the problems that we're already trying to avoid them having they have these problems and they're coming in but there's nothing those centers can do for them but those centers are there to help them and we got a story from a girl who was about 12 now so she got married when she was 10 and she got pregnant and she was in forced labor for about four days and ended up having a fistula after her baby um, the baby came out dead she ended up um, having a fistula and nobody knew what was going on obviously you know she was she was urinating on herself and feces and whatnot and um, by the time she came to the place she was filled with infection you know and it was so bad because they couldn't help her in that situation but in this little village this was the only center they had that actually spoke about these things that actually pretended in my opinion to help these situations out and it was a situation they couldn't help because. They had no resources to do so whatsoever and the, the roads are so bad and before to get her from one place to another is crazy it's about three hours a journey from there to um an actual hospital so long story short actually um we're still they're, they're still working on that girl although things have been fixed but she has a colostomy bag yeah a yeah. bag for for waste. Yeah, basically yeah. for the rest of her life. Um, you get these stories. I mean, um, there's a very good movie if you are interested that came out recently um, called Dry. It speaks very much about um, the fist the fistula situation. And funny enough, I was just watching it the other day, and I was thinking how it resonated so much because this happens in my community. This happens to my neighbors' kids. It could happen to anyone. As far as you, especially if you are from the north of the country, and you are not as privileged as say we are, it's you know it's a very common situation to happen. Well, it's it's on Netflix if you're interested in seeing it. Could you tell us the legal age to get married in Nigeria? Um, I don't know if there's an exact legal age. Um, the Senate passed a bill I think saying they wanted it to be 18 or they it should be 18, 
But to be honest, these are people that don't really abide by their own laws. So it's so it's a lot of tribalism then. Um, it that is. They have their own. It is no no politicians in general. <laughs> I mean, they make the they they do make the laws, but that doesn't mean they follow them. I know um, a politician. I know a governor that was married to a girl that was fifteen, I think, and he's married another one from Egypt recently that was fourteen. And with the, you can kind of get around these um, boundaries with Islamic countries as well because they don't they have you know these kind of ideologies when it comes to women and the, the whole patriarchy and stuff like that. So it's kind of easy for them, I guess, to do that. And is the situation in the North similar to the South? Not necessarily. Men? Not necessarily. Um, I will say this. When we were colonized, um, the North was an emirate as opposed to the South. So the South got the worst of it. The South got the worst of even the slave trade, to be honest. So when the colonialists came, actually, they... Um, came with missionaries and there were schools in the south, they made schools in the south, but the north being an emirate, they were only paying taxes to the colonialists, so they never they never got the same like education systems, and the north of Nigeria is one of the least educated places in the whole world, and you know, with a high population like that, it's easy to see why crime is such a big deal, why drugs are such a big deal with our youth and stuff like that. Um, I think um, just, just to make a quick clarification mm -hmm. about why um, a lot of Muslims actually can yeah. get can marry very mm -hmm. young girls is because that um, in Islam you can you don't have to go to for example to the court to get married legally you mm -hmm. can do it through the sheikh and the sheikh as long as you have witnesses you can get married and that's mm -hmm. something very common in Islamic countries like even um, back in Iraq and even if they pass the law they can get away with it by just getting married through the sheikh and so, just yeah. to actually add to that um, like we have this thing with a lot of like where I come from I would say a house man since I'm from the north I'm Hausa and that is a general that area is generally like a Hausa area so we normally say Hausa men tend to justify their actions by saying oh the prophet did that mm -hmm. the prophet did that and the prophet yeah this is the workings of the prophet not I mean they do everything else the prophet didn't do or the prophet said not to yeah. do but when it comes to things that benefit them like marrying four wives or like marrying little girls oh, the prophet did that yeah yeah Absolutely. So I think maybe a question, maybe it's more technical of right now uh, with your organization mm -hmm. and with the lack of resources and you know a lot of these centers don't have the enough fund. Mm -hmm. How do you get to, for example, provide these kind of services for these girls or mm -hmm. these women? Um, how do you get the help maybe? To be honest, it's mostly about donations. It's mostly about kind of looking around and being and realizing you are a privileged person and your friends are privileged and their fathers and their mothers can't afford to donate certain things and everybody does charity. I mean, um, Shajwan, you coming from, you know, a Muslim area, you know, like the whole idea of zakat. Mm -hmm. yeah. So because of, we actually take a lot of like, um, what's it called, precipice with that because we think, oh, okay, you're going to do zakat, you might as well give to us so we have to present to you what we want to do and then you give it to us i mean our our um goal like let's say right now our future goal maybe in five years let's call it that um is to build like a halfway home for women that have come out of you know 
marriages that their parents were not willing like to take them back in. Yes, yeah. like a shelter, basically, just to, just to let them kind of get, um, you know, a sense of um, identity, find out what they want to do next, you know, find them work, um, empower them while they're at it, and then, you know, if they find somewhere to live or somewhere to go from there, it's fine. And initially, it was going to be an orphanage, and then we thought there are just as many women out on the streets as they are orphans, especially in North Nigeria. So why not, if we could bring these women as a way of um, them taking care of the orphans we already have, um, you know, that's kind of killing two birds one song. You mentioned in the North that there are a lot of uneducated people. Um, would you ever take the further step to have classes on education, especially in terms of sex, se sexual education, so in order to possibly prevent less fistulas? I'm so glad you brought that up because recently um, a friend of mine actually, uh, I want to say two days ago, sent me a message. This is another problem we have in, north, in the North where um, I would call it child slavery, but I guess maybe people wouldn't. Um, where basically in a household when you get married, <coughs> you get a house help. <coughs> this is normal for everyone in Nigeria, not just the North, you get a house help. And these house helps, especially in the North right now, are young children, like eight years old young children. And then when you ask these people, these women and these men that are equally as educated as you, why do you have these little girls working for you? They're the same age as your kid. You're not taking them to school. You're just keeping them at home. They go, oh, I need somebody to play with my kids. I need a playmate for my kids. But she's not only playing with your kids. She's doing your laundry. She's cleaning your house. She's cooking for your husband. God forbid one day your husband comes home, you're not around and rapes her. You don't, you don't care. She, I just need somebody to play with my kids. So my friend actually started um, in, their, in her house. She has a little, um, an old Islamic school they have next to the mosque. And she just went around her neighborhood and picked this girl up and start. And um, we've been making, um, we've been making uh, books and like printouts for them to use and kind of learn to write, learn to read, learn to do like math and stuff like that. And um, obviously, um, it's good that you did ask about sexual education. It's such a touchy subject because um, I personally wouldn't even know where to start with that because it's something that I guess you should be taught, like even from your parents and stuff. But we don't have that. Like our culture literally restricts us from having these kind of conversations. I can't tell you I've ever had that kind of conversation with my mom, at least personally. And that is someone who's educated, you know? So I can't. I don't know where to start from. And um, I mean, I've always been an observer. So at this point in my life, I'm kind of like observing and asking people, like, tell me something I can do some way I can reach out to them. I don't know how to do that. I mean, I've, I've brought it up to people and people have laughed like, ha ha ha, like, how are we meant to go talk to women, these women, you know, about sex? Some of them don't even know that, what, what sex is about. They don't know they're meant to enjoy it. Some of them tell you, like, oh, when, when it's nighttime, I'm running away from my husband. Why? <laughs> yeah, yeah um, so I'm open to suggestions where that is concerned. Please. Education usually is the universal answer to solving most, you know, world's mm -hmm. problems. It's just trying to infiltrate and be the first person. But I do want to ask one question. Mm -hmm. We're mentioning women helping women, which I love. And I think that that definitely needs to be, you know, something that continues to happen 
but are there any men that donate, that support you, that help or help at the clinics or mm-hmm. and so forth? Um, I will personally speak for my father, who's my role model. Um, before I actually got into this, I was trying to uh, work at the Bill Gates Foundation at the point. And my dad took me on a ride and he goes, you don't have to beat yourself up trying to work with these international organizations, you know. Um, the, the best thing to do is go to a hospital and look around and there's women, there's um, little kids that need less than a dollar to get treatment. And these people will not treat them because they do not have that money. So if you need something to do, go ahead and do that. And there's a lot of men, I will tell you, I'm, I'm, I'm just speaking from my, I mean, my perspective on my dad, but I know, like, I have uncles, I have my dad's friends that I could always go to and be like, um, I need to do this. Can I have this amount of money or just suggest to them? I'm, I'm, we're kind of a writing family. So we would, like, write a whole program. Okay, we want to go to this IBP or we want to go to this orphanage or we want to go and speak to these ladies and we need um, some kind of money, you know, or some just some kind of donation. And we would put it in my dad's sitting room and all his friends are there and they would actually come out and donate. All you need to do is give them, you know, a reason to. You need to show them that you are actually doing something that um, Nigeria has a very bad reputation as far as um, organizations laundering money, you know, for other businesses. So it's as long as you show them that you're actually doing something with that with that money, it's going somewhere and it's helping someone out. Everyone's willing to donate only. So how has it been continuing your work uh, from abroad? So, so to speak, you're living in Berlin now and the organization is obviously based in Nigeria. So what's that been like? It's hard. It's almost non-existent, to be honest with you, because um, if I had maybe one of my sisters living in Nigeria permanently, living in Abuja permanently, maybe it would be so much easier, but we all live in different parts of the world. The only one that is living in Nigeria lives in Lagos. It's so hard. I mean, like I said, now it's kind of left to friends to kind of figure out little initiatives and then kind of send it to me. And I'm like, okay, I'll think about it. I'll approve right now if it's, you know, that good. But um, beyond that, the problem is not... The thing is, the thing with this organization and this NGO work, I, in my opinion, for me, it has been a hobby. So it's one of those things that if I don't have time for it, I'm not going to fully enjoy it. And when I'm not enjoying it, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Would you consider making it more of a virtual donation, like a website or some kind of, because it seems, that, mm-hmm. at least the way that you've described it, something mm-hmm. that's very person-to-person, like mm-hmm. writing-based, but would you think that virtual might be a way to bring it further? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I think, hopefully, in the very close future, you know, we could do that. But in the meantime, it's just one of those things that I don't want to make it maybe bigger than it seems. Right. So I want, I, I really want it to be more personalized. I have people like um, that I went to school with in England, you know, that want to come over there and work with us and stuff like that. And it's, it's cool. It's good. I'm, I'm inviting you to, you know, but I, I also don't want to take any of the limelight away from the women I'm working with or the children I'm working with or the men I'm working with. It's very important that they remain the, you know, at the end of the day, the subjects, the core subjects of whatever we are doing. And um, 
even as like with events and stuff, that's why we haven't had many because we don't see the point of it really. If we're getting the donations regardless, why do we need to do an event to just announce we're here? I have a like very broad question. Please Formally, go ahead. I guess when we've been talking outside of class and outside of this, mm -hmm. you've told me that a lot of times people go over to Africa <laughs> and to go do NGO work or volunteer work, but they don't and like they do it for like I guess a picture or something. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit about yes that <laughs> is my first question. I'll do a follow-up question for that. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about like what the real point of I mean, I just, I, I wish, I wish it wasn't that. I wish it wasn't people taking pictures. I mean, I wish people would realize that they don't have to come all the way to the continental Africa to give back. I wish people would understand that they need to give back to their own societies and their own communities. You really don't have to go far. Just look in your backyard. There's always problems. And um, for me, as a Nigerian, like I said before, I feel like it is our duty, and a lot of us don't realize that. A lot of us would rather travel and volunteer elsewhere than actually to stay at home and work, like, like it's our duty to do so. Um, beyond that, I would like to see more Nigerians, more people from Africa giving back to their own communities. Not, I, I, I mean, these international organizations, they do amazing things. I will take nothing from them. I, you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, I would prefer to see a Nigerian helping another Nigerian. You are giving back directly to your community, directly to things that affect you. You know, we all, like personally for me, I have a very huge family. And in that family, some are rich, some are poor. You, you give back all the time without even knowing you're doing so. You know, you're helping with schools, you're helping um, school fees, you're helping with, I don't know, food, literally, literally, you're like going and helping with food because some of them don't have that. And that is your family. There's always problems you can help with. You don't have to go above and beyond. So, and I feel like that also applies to Westerners or whatever, coming to Nigeria or sorry, coming to Af the continent of Africa, or going to um, Asia, or going to India, whatever. You literally can help in your backyard. You really don't have to go far. I guess my follow-up question to that is, yes, money is always the answer, mm -hmm. but also I think you can look at money as kind of being like a Band-Aid answer, like it kind of helps for like a time being. Mm -hmm. Do you think the overall collective answer is somehow making roads inroads culturally to change cultural norms so these things, so some things don't happen? I mean, a lot of the issues come from formal colonialism, come from like very historical roots, but what is the answer long-term that's not just money? Um, first of all, I think a lot of um, NGOs, where I'm from personally, do not think about sustainability. They just think about, like you said, money, donations, and that's something I actually had to find out when I was initially working the art program. And um, I just wanted little things. I just wanted paper. I just wanted color pencils. I just wanted crayons. And to get that, well, you need money. But regardless, when you start, when we started doing the work with the kids, and some of these kids, the things they drew, the things they painted, like, oh, this is someone shooting my dad. This is someone, you know, it was little like crazy things like that. And because of that, like you get to talk to them. These people, these these kids, have been through so much trauma that they can't speak. 
they're literally mute. They cannot speak. And when they're doing art, you see the difference. Like you see, like they're slowly coming out of that shell that they've kind of built themselves into and they're talking more to people. As far as sustainability, I think a lot of people, when they think about empowerment as far as organizations go, especially in Nigeria, when it involves women, okay, fine, let's go and get them a, um, a sewing machine so they can start sewing. But then who are they going to sell it to? There are other peers in that same IDP. Who are they? If they make, you're teaching them how to make soap, who are they going to sell it to? You have not given them a platform to actually go and give their, put their work out there. You've taught them something that is absolutely useless to them. Who are they going to sell it to? There are other peers? The other poor people around them? Nobody, you know what I mean? I, I think it's, uh, um, that is one thing that I've actually said since we made Upendi Care Foundation, that it's not an NGO more, it's more of a platform for especially the youth of our community to change our narrative in our community and to make our stories known, not only the ones that are underprivileged, but also the ones that are privileged. We need to tell our stories, you know, they're different from what the world actually knows about Nigeria and what, what um, people think about youth. Oh, well, all they do is drugs. All they do is stay on their phone and smoke weed. It's always the same thing. So that needs to happen. And anyway, we need to create more platforms, I think, in my opinion, to share these things that people are doing because people are actually out there doing something. People are actually out there helping other people. But that's the thing. It stops there. It stops there with I've given I've given them some lessons in this. I've given them some lessons in that. And then when you do that, then what? Yeah, what continues on? Yeah. Well, having lived abroad in so many different countries, some of them being <coughs> Italy, Germany, UK, the US, there are many more, I, I think. But can you uh, tell us what the difference between the um, problems women face are compared to Nigeria? Um, I think in these areas, being all the West, let me call them, um, there's more of like a working system as far as better institutions naturally. Um, you know, police stations, let's start with that. <laughs> you guys have that. A lot of those, um, you, you know, you guys have a good police force. The things that when I report as a woman here, I know they will be taken care of. But in Nigeria, not even, are you not going to report it? It's, it's also stigma from everyone around you. We don't, we don't discuss rape. It's happened. Okay, what, what is that? What even is that? We don't discuss it. It's happened. Okay, sorry for you. Go sit down. Don't talk about it. Shh. That is how it's always going to be. Jesus. Um, okay, so having, you know, you chose to study your master's degree mm -hmm. here um, in international relations and cultural diplomacy. Uh, what made you maybe choose that program and what do you would like to achieve in the future with it? How do you think it will help you in achieving maybe some of your goals? Well, because I did IR in um, undergrad, uh, I just kind of wanted to go into it maybe a little deeper. When you do IR, I don't know if any of you did that. If When you do IR for undergrad, it's always like, oh, what else are you going to do then? What's, what next? Are you, were you doing it for pre-law? I mean, it's too broad. You need to, you know, you need to specialize in something. And actually, 
uh, I got accepted to a school in Switzerland and I was waiting to go. Unfortunately, it was like till February this year and I just couldn't wait. And then I found um, the ICD and I thought, I've never heard anything like cultural diplomacy. I remember reading about it and then talking to Mark about it. Um, when he called for the interview and I was so lost. I was like, I really don't know much about this. It just sounds a lot like the things UNESCO do. And I've always wanted to work for UNESCO and kind of sounds amazing. And I thought, okay, yeah, why not? And as far as what I'm going to do with it, to be honest, I remember the first day we had class with Dr. Chakrabarti, he asked, and I told him I don't know, and I still don't, because there's so many opportunities, you know. I don't know where to start from, to be honest. But I think it's clear just from our interview that you are, you are seeking to use everything that you're gaining here to go back to help Nigeria, to help so. your community, to start local, and maybe, you know, in the future, maybe expand. I hope so, definitely, at least West Africa, um, and then we'll see where it goes from there. You definitely room for opportunities of partnerships with other bigger. If you do want to change it to more NGO type status, if you can get it by just Mm -hmm. branching and networking, Mm -hmm. you have that platform here. Exactly. Maybe you can grow up. Exactly. Exactly. We wish you luck in your endeavors. Thank Thank you so much. Thank you. We appreciate you, our listeners, for tuning in and listening to our topics on substances. We find it vital to help spread some of the most wonderful things people are starting in the hopes of connecting you to the people we feature or inspiring you to do good outside your back door. As Aisha said, none of us have to look far when it comes to finding a problem and trying to help. We are all capable of extending our hands, filling the spots that need to be filled in, and being the light. In two weeks, we will touch base with Aisha again to continue our ongoing series of breaking down stereotypes. She will talk about what Nigeria is known for, talk about the immense tribal diversity, but also how vibrant communities are within the country. Aisha's podcasts are featured alongside a handful of other African countries and voices that represent various regions across the continent. This month is focused on bringing awareness to individual nations within the African continent, showcasing their diversity, speaking about their history, and thinking about the future. If you have any questions or topics you want to be covered this month, please reach out to us by sending an email at dosageofrepartee at gmail.com. Of course, you are always welcome to comment on any content directly on our website, sub-stances.com.